So my plan is one day to get a opening. I like the opening as it stands. By the way, this is a cold opening. Like this is the beginning of the podcast. Um, and I know that's going to come with time, but I just wanted to put that out there that if you are the first listeners, you're listening to this, um, you're getting ready to see something built up into like from humble beginnings to something magnificent because that's the energy I'm walking into 2020 with. We are so close, y'all. As of me recording, this is December 1st, so this is the day before y'all actually um, will hear or get this episode. And uh, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving, because I know I did. Hope everybody stuffed their face. Um, my homegirl, the previous uh, guest, last week's guest, the Courtney Williams, she calls it Family Day, which I actually love. I really love that. Um, family Day. Indigenous People's Day, celebrating, commemorating them, as well as spending time with family. Whatever you were doing, whatever you call it, I hope it was a good one. Um, just to give you guys a little bit of what I was doing for the weekend, um, I actually went to a restaurant in Bundang called La, oh, Lapine, Lapine. La, yeah, it's like, um, how should I put it? It's like a uh, New Orleans-style restaurant, and it was excellent. Like when I say the food was banging y'all, it was banging. I don't know where anywhere one else, any foreigners that went to, you know, a Friendsgiving or Thanksgiving, um, at any other restaurant in Seoul. I don't know what y'all were doing, but y'all really missed out if you were not in this place because the owner, she's Korean American and she lived in New Orleans for 30 years and basically moved back to Seoul with her husband. They quit their jobs and they opened up this restaurant. Super nice. She's so, so sweet. Um, and the food was like legit, even just thinking about it right now, I'm like, oh my God, it was so, so damn good. I'm talking greens, sweet potato casserole, a legitimate mac and cheese. Like I'm talking about that joint was cheesy, roast turkey, proper turkey, cranberry sauce, gravy, and like cornbread, buttermilk biscuits. Sorry. I'm just like standing for this meal, even though it's like been over, but I'm like, uh, and I also cooked for myself because, you know, I want to have something, you know, leftovers. Leftovers are such a treat. So, um, yeah, it was a great, I had a great, enjoyable uh, uh, Thanksgiving. Y'all know what it is. It is the Nomad Peace podcast, the podcast for born wanderers and rule breakers. This week, we're talking about work culture. That means everything that has to do with the nine to five, the 40 day work week. How do people around the world get down with this schedule? How does it vary between different countries? And what role does it play in a capitalist society, the 40 day work week? And most importantly, is it possible to break out of this? So for anyone living in the U.S., I know that this weekend um, it was Thanksgiving weekend. So some of y'all maybe had the day off. Some of you had maybe were able to take like a little four day weekend. But the rest of us, especially other Americans living abroad, like, for example, myself in Korea, uh, it was just another day. And so I thought that this episode is fitting right after Thanksgiving because this is holiday time. Uh, people are coming up on Christmas, having their time off. Kids are going to be off from school. 
Uh, people are going to be taking some holiday vacations and whatnot. And that's, that started me thinking about, you know, word culture and how has the system that we live in, how has that come to be? So I'm going to like tell y'all a brief history. I'm not trying to get in depth with it, too in depth, but I'm going to tell you a brief history about my work experience um, as a chef. So my first experience in the kitchen, I was 16. I worked at a place, if you are if you live in Pennsylvania or Delaware, uh, there's a chain called Grotto's Pizza. This was my very first job, first experience working 16, just kind of like a little like making pizzas and stuff like that. And this is like my first job because um, I knew I wanted to go to culinary school and blah, blah, blah. But I learned from a very early age just being in a kitchen, a very male-dominated space. And, you know, when you talk about being in an environment with where there's men and when it comes to work, there's this energy that's kind of like you got to do it. Do the work, get it done. Is no nonsense, no games, uh, which is false. There's plenty of games going on in the kitchen. But, like, you know, we're here to work. You get the work done, you collect your check, uh, but there's also a kind of, um, and this is this is unique to working in the hospitality field, specifically the kitchen, and I'm sure there's this type of uh, energy within other, um, you know, industries or careers, but specifically speaking about working in the kitchen, it's almost like this militaristic type of view of like, you know, we're, we're all in this, um, and we, it's like, it's like war. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. This mentality of like work is very like war, you know, we, every night it's a battle against the clock, getting things done, this, that. So this, this was kind of like my entry point into, uh, working. So now combine this with, uh, a work ethic, which I feel like my, I definitely, some professionalism being professional, and having a strong work ethic was something that was pegged into me from a very young age. Because even before I started working in kitchens, I had little jobs, babysitting, walking dogs. Because um, from a very young age, I had an understanding about making money. And how if you work, learn, basically learning that time is a commodity. I think I had my first lesson of that. Um, my mom used to go to this little flea market when we were living in Philadelphia. It was like in this like... Uh, the, uh, I want to say it was like a the theology college or, or something like that. And they had this massive field and they would open it up to different people in the neighborhood, come set up. The whole field was covered with people like it's like a little flea market selling stuff. And my mom used to make like chocolate chip cookies with me and lemonade and would sell it for like 50 cents, a little cup. And I remember that day I had this cute like little glitter covered shoe box that I was collecting my coins and and I want to say I was like maybe five or six but I have a clear memory of all of those shiny beautiful uh George Washington's and Eagles staring back up at me in that box and I want to say at the time I might have made like 20 bucks and 20 bucks of quarters was that's what I had and I just distinctly remember like oh I like this I like the rattle in this box. I like these coins that I got. And I, I, my, my concept of what money was at that time was probably, you know, minimal 
to say the least, but I knew it was something I liked that I made something, I did something, put it out there and I got this back for it. So, um, and then with that, I could get other more awesome things. So like this hit me, I had this understanding from a very young age. So when it came to working, I want to say like about my junior year, um, one of my home ec teachers was in home ec for anyone that doesn't know home economics. It's like a class, cooking class in school, learning stuff like that. Um, and I remember my teacher at the time had recommended the Culinary Institute of America, which is where I would later attend uh, uh, college. Uh, but at the time I was like, well, shoot if I have to make money, I need to go to university, it should probably be for something that I love to do. And a lot of people don't even clock on to that, trying to make that, you know, connection of maybe I should do what I love and purpose. But we're going to come back to that at a, at a, at a later date in the show. So right now, um, yeah, so I ended up getting into working in the kitchens, going from kitchen to kitchen. And they're kind of, I, I want to say, I adapted. I adapted that idea of, you know, working hard is very noble. Working without complaining, there, there's like some, there's a nobility in being able to do that. You stand above the rest. You're not weak. Um, not taking any days off, no days off. That's something to be proud of. And so I expected uh, going into new kitchens and expecting abuse. And I'm not, I don't mean like a physical abuse, but just like the, the nature of the job, the long hours, the elements dealing with fire, heat, burns, cuts. Um, also being, being able to, you know, have this, have the stamina with, withstanding all of these things and doing it without any complaint was something that I was aspiring to. And I was like, this is going to make me a better person. It's going to make me a better chef. It's kind of like trial by fire. You know, you come out at the end of the strong, stronger than you did when you came in. And I can say that working in the culinary industry, that there was some truth to that. I did because it's like, you know, it's about being disciplined a lot of it. So on one hand, and I'm, again, I'm just speaking to from the, from the industry that I spent most of my, at this point, most of my life working in, um, and have an understanding. And I, I, I did, I did, that did happen to me because I was a very shy child. I was very, um, kind of soft-spoken and, you know, anybody that's ever worked in the kitchen or seen any type of movie or shit, watch Hell's Kitchen with Gordon Ramsay, then you know, this is, the truth. This is this is kind of the truth. You see how it is. It's rough. It ain't easy. It's not for everyone. But for me to have done that and come out at the end, uh, I felt like, ooh, there there's some truth. And and then I adapted that mentality too. So anybody else that came after me, as far as new people and even talking to people about my job, it's like, yeah, I worked on a cruise ship. I worked every day for six months straight. And a lot of people, when I tell them that, and this is facts, I did when I was working for Silver Sea Cruise Line, the nature of a contract of working on a cruise ship, if you're like a chef or staff, is that you essentially, you get all your vacate, your, you get all your weekends at the end of your contract, which is your vacation. So you might be on a ship for four, six, 
seven, eight months, nine months for like my Filipino, um, my Filipino peeps and Indian peeps, they, they do longer contracts and you were working every single day, anywhere between, uh, 14 to, well, six, you know, I'm not supposed to say this, but basically let's be real 14 to, you know, 16 hours for some people and they do it. You get it done. You don't complain. And for a while I felt proud telling people that because I used to get off on like seeing people like, oh my God, like you worked that. Oh, I can't believe you did that. Like, oh man, it couldn't be me. Cause then I was like, in my head, I'm like, yeah, it couldn't be you. Cause you can't do it. You know, this used to be my mentality. I, I, I kind of hate, cause now I look back at it and I realize how like, um, I don't want to say problematic it was, but I realize how like, you know, when I look at the bigger picture of the world and my purpose, like, is like, sis, like, you, you a little bit on your high horse right now. So for me, working weekends, that was a norm. I usually had uh, my days off on Monday or Tuesday, which a lot of people who work in hospitality, that's kind of like they have some type of schedule like this. Um, and so now let's fast forward to uh, two years ago, let's say two years ago. So, um, the three years that I lived in Melbourne, I was working in a restaurant and various different restaurants, but for the most part, again, I had Monday, I mean, no, excuse me, I would have like a Tuesday, Wednesday off. And for a while, I didn't mind this. I like this whole, everything I was telling you, this whole mentality that I had and had adapted of working and my views on working, hadn't I didn't really run into any problems and I want to say until the last in the last three years and this happened with uh or coincided with my move to Australia the first year I moved there um in Melbourne was great because I was making great money because chefs starting off your rates usually this is you can start making 20 U.S. excuse me 20 Australian anywhere between 20 to 22 Australian dollars an hour um, which maybe works out. I don't know what the recent conversion rate, but at the time I want to say that's like about 18 US dollars an hour, which is, I had never made this money before, especially being like an, especially the, make, doing it hourly, having an hourly wage. Um, so this was great. I was enjoying that money. So I was happy to work. And it wasn't until um, I went, my working holiday visa ended and I, I switched to a temporary work visa, which is like your sponsored visa. So I was being sponsored by a company and now I had salary, which, you know, most people know when you're working on salary, it's set. So it really doesn't matter your hours that you work. So overtime, all that stuff is not really, is not necessarily considered. Um, so yeah, that's when things started to change. And it, it wasn't that I wasn't happy with doing the work anymore, but I wasn't necessarily doing what I wanted to do. Um, and I felt like as far as, you know, per my, my purpose was starting to be something. So that was something that was bothering me. Like, you know, I was feeling like, ah, uh, what am I doing? What am I actually bringing to the table besides just going to work and making some money and then, you know, spending it? I was like, I want to be doing more. And so that's when, that's when things started to change as far as me viewing 
how I look at work and where my time is going, what my time is being put to. And that's when I started my YouTube journey as far as starting my channel. And during that process, I started realizing, well, there's all these other things I'm interested in doing and all these other creative things that I want to do. And I love cooking, but I actually don't want to like work in these establish establishments anymore. And I was, it was a thing where I kept looking for my perfect kitchen. And when I say perfect kitchen, I mean like, you know, looking for the place where I can learn and really be hands on, like in the most, in the, in the biggest way possible. And like, we're doing exciting things. And I also kind of wanted that balance to make money, but I was starting to realize that that was something, finding those, all of those, um, I guess, you know, I wanted to have all those boxes ticked. And I was having a hard time finding everything I wanted in one specific place. And I was coming to the realization that, sis, you don't have to do this on your own. You're not gonna you're not gonna find your perfect kitchen until you make it. And so that's when things started to kind of like, you know, the dissatisfaction, excuse me, dissatisfaction started creeping in with the job and the hours. And even with the last place that I worked in Melbourne, it's a place called the European very well-known Melbourne dining establishment. They have various different restaurants within the group. And um, the schedule wasn't bad. At first, I didn't think it was bad because they did something a little bit different, especially uh, for the hospitality industry. And and this is something that is now, I know a lot of like, especially high-end restaurants are starting to implement, which is a four-day work week. So how this works is that you essentially, in are doing, let's see, you're doing three doubles a week. So the hours you would normally work across a five-day period is now crunched into four, but that leaves you with having three days off. So it was a situation where I'd have like um, Monday, no, excuse me, I would have, yeah, Monday, Tuesday off, Wednesday, Thursday, I'd work a double. So that means I would come in around, like, we didn't have to start till nine. This is what they were told us. But the reality is when you have a shit ton of stuff to do, you got to get it done. You're going to get in there early. And then I know I remember a lot of my chefs saying it's about how you balance your time and how you work. But uh, for me, I just felt I would come in at seven because it was like just trying to get like all the things done, get ahead of stuff, ahead of people, get ahead of the list, you know, getting all your ingredients and pots and pans you need before it's before others come in and take it because then you got to wait. It was like this type of situation. So I would start at seven. Um, we'd work all the way up until lunch. You have like a 20, 20 minute like break for, um, you know, lunch, get something to Well, I say lunch break, but essentially go to the bathroom, have a cigarette if you smoked and get something down your gullet just to to sustain you. And then you get ready for the dinner service. And then you weren't really finishing until if it was like not a crazy night, you'd be lucky to finish around like, you know, 10, 30 sometimes. But with, you know, commuting, I wasn't getting home. So I was coming in at seven. I really wasn't getting home until closer to like 11. You know, if you're having drinks with people, most people weren't, at least especially if you had a double the next day. This is kind of how it went. And so then I would have that on Wednesday and Thursday. Friday, I'd have Friday off. So that was my day three. Saturday was kind of like a single shift day. So usually you just had to come in after lunch, 
around when lunch was ending for the dinner service. And then Sunday I had a double, which was brunch. So that was, that was so rough. I used to really hate it. So this is kind of like my schedule. And at first I was like, oh, this ain't bad. This is not a bad at all. But then it started getting to me because I wasn't really enjoying the work anymore. And I was just like feeling unfulfilled and just realizing like, what am I doing? Am I just staying in, in, in Australia for a visa or am I actually trying to build a life here or what? So this is what led me to realizing I got to make a change and that this particular work environment and just the work environment is not even about going to a new restaurant. I just needed a break from this specific culture, this, this specific industry. And I feel like a lot of people are becoming, and not just within the hospitality industry, a lot of people are becoming jaded with the current work culture, this whole um, 40 hour work week, um, five days a week, only having two days to yourself every week. A lot of people are becoming dissatisfied. This is the main reason why digital, no, like becoming a digital nomad, and this is big. It's growing. Um, I was looking at some, uh, I think it was like a statistic that was talking about like the countries that are growing as far as expat numbers. I believe it's like Taiwan. Taiwan and Vietnam are like in the top two places that people are moving to just because of having a work-life balance and just better quality of life, weather, like people are just, you know, people are looking for something else. So what I want to do is let's get into talking about what, where did the 40 hour, why do we work five days a week and have two days off? And I'm, again, I'm speaking for majority of like, I guess, Western countries. So anyone who works in like Europe or Australia or Canada, America, um, it actually, and even some places, other places, when I say the West, I'm specifically talking about these countries, which kind of led the way for us to have this idea of the 40 day work week. So let's take a little break and let's get into that. Like where the hell did the 40 day work week come from? My bad, y'all. Y'all gonna have to forgive me because I know I just said <laughs> 40 day work week. I really meant the 40 hour work week because you can't have a 40 day work week, Lisa. That makes no sense. Um, so yeah, let's go over really quick before we get into this working time. Let's see what are what are what are the working times based on different countries. Let's see what other countries are doing. So let's start off in good old jolly Europe. Everybody knows that Europe, Europeans, excuse me, not Europe, but Europeans enjoy very nice holiday time. They get about four to six weeks of holiday time as the standard. Um, France, they have the year, the year, their average is a 35 work hour week. And this is by law. Okay, so a lot of this, everything that we're talking about came through legislation. South Korea, my current home, they introduced the 40-hour, five-day working week in 2004, but this is with companies with over 1,000 employees. And this moved to being a nationwide thing in 2011. And they also upped their public holidays to 16 days. So that's even more than the U.S. So they have 16 public holidays um, in addition to um, 
their vacation time, which I believe, I believe Koreans have the same amount of vacation time, standard vacation time, which is about two weeks. Again, I think this varies between um, different companies because Koreans work, like it's a big work culture here. Um, they even say call it bali bali, which is like, um, means hurry in Korean. It means hurry. It uh, means like fast. Like it's, it's a quick culture. It's go, 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 go. Um, but this is changing because I feel like even with them, quality of life is becoming more important. I'm getting all out of order. I know I was talking about Europe and I mentioned South Korea, but to go back to Europe, Scandinavia, they get 25 days off. That's five weeks every year. And this is the other thing. This is the most interesting thing because everyone's like, oh my God, Scandinavia seems like such a wonderful place to live. Um, they pay high taxes, but they enjoy such a lovely quality of life, a bit of balance. I can't speak to this for, you know, from experience. These are things that I've heard, but yes, they do have 25 days off. And this is the cool thing. If you're from, this is Scandinavia, if you um, are on vacation and say something happens, you get sick, unfortunately, like you have to go into the hospital or something happens. If you get a note from the doctor or whatever place, I guess, in whatever country that you're visiting, if you bring that note back with you, that actually counts as a sick day and they will give you that time back to add to your vacation. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, who else? Spain. Now, Spain, they work 40 hours a week. They do get 21 days for vacation. And the thing is, a lot of people, you know, they're known for the siesta, basically, you know, that time during the day where everyone just like shops close, people leave work, they go to eat. But a lot of people don't realize that that's actually not everyone's going home to sleep they're really, it's their midday meal. So the midday meal is the biggest meal of the day for um, a lot of Spanish people. So what they do is they might go, uh, it's really one to two hours. I think a lot of people think that everybody's like going and kicking it for three hours. Um, I don't think that's really the case. It's more like one to two hours where you take time to go home and you eat because that's the biggest meal of the day. And then they come back and, you know, continue to get on with their day. Um, now, so just go over some other countries. We have Australia, my second home. Uh, surprisingly, people uh, wouldn't think this, but Australians do work a lot. And I can attest to that. So um, they work a lot and they do a lot of overtime. So there's a statistic here. It says in uh, 2010, um, excuse me, not 2010, um, Actually, no, sorry. 2010, my bad. This is 5 million of Australia's 7.7 million full-time workers put in more than 40 hours. So that means a lot of people, a lot of people, the majority of the workforce is doing uh, 40 hours. But this is because um, in Australia, this this is really specifically speaking to um, certain industries, which include mining uh, construction, agriculture, tourism, and transport. So these are the jobs where most people are working lots of overtime. They're working beyond that 40 hours a week, but they're also getting paid to do it well because uh, a lot of people don't know this, but labor jobs, if you do any type of job that involves labor, those are extremely well-paid jobs. 
So for example, like, you know, a construction, construction worker, when you think of a construction worker, like, especially in the U.S., what do you think about? You might think about a middle-aged man. Maybe they don't have the best, you know, they're not in the best shape, bellies, maybe some little beer guts, balding a bit. I'm definitely stereotyping and possibly exaggerating, but not really. But, like, y'all know what a construction worker looks like. Like, if you've ever seen a construction worker, this isn't, it's not GQ status when you're looking at these guys. I'm just being realistic. However, in Australia, this is, like, the total opposite. A lot of tradies, that's what they call them, tradesmen, a lot of tradies. So, anybody that's working in mining, um, you know, construction work, plumbers, electricians, they're young. They go to the gym. They're tatted up. Um, They wear like short shorts with like Tim boots, like construction boots. Um, I'm just talking from experience of seeing them. They're very, they're very well paid, good looking guys, I have to say. Very young because it's like an easy job. You know, you don't have to, in Australia, you don't have to go to college to live a very good life. Like, you can easily pick up a trade and live well to do shit. Probably better than, like, you know, me. I know some people who work in construction jobs and have a nice-ass house. I'm talking about beautiful house, um, going on really nice vacations and stuff like that, living well, comfortable. So yeah, that's kind of like, I'm kind of getting off tangent, but basically in Australia, they work a lot. That's their average. Um, In Mexico, Mexico has a 48 hour mandate, but this is hardly enforced because of various law loopholes. And I think issues with like labor unions. Uh, Who else do we have here? Vietnam, Vietnam, another special plate that has a special place in my heart. Um, the typical work hours are from 7.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., which I thought was a really lovely time. Um, they take one hour for lunch. They have a right to one free day a week, actually, plus 12 days vacation a year. So, you know, that's like, what, almost about, it's a little under two weeks, but, you know, I still think that's pretty good. Um, By law, the maximum amount of hours you can work is 47 hours. So again, we're kind of like in this 40-hour realm between the averages. It seems like a lot of the average in in 2019 for most modern developed countries sits between 35 to 40, let's say 35 to 45 hours a week. Now, special, a special country we need to talk about is China. Now, China, they have something interesting. I think that they have, by law, they have an hour set. I believe it's 40 hours, but this is not really enforced and upheld. Now, especially in a country like China, where they have, you know, as many companies, um, the economy is big, it's booming, it's growing. A lot of industries from other countries are based in China as far as the workforce. Um, you know, you, you you don't have to look at, you can just go and pick up any type of item in any store, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to find made in China somewhere on it. Um, now, the thing I found interesting about them is they have this system called the 996 working hour system. 
if you, I, I encourage everybody to Google all of this. Do your Googles. It's so important. Just don't take my word for it. You should be doing this anyway. But essentially, the 996 working hour system, this is, this is kind of relegated to only specific companies. A lot of IT companies use this. Um, and it essentially stands for a system where people work 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six days per week. Uh, so that is 72 hours, essentially. This is a common practice, a common system within IT companies, and it's an official work schedule. For example, you guys may have heard of Alibaba. Alibaba is a company, Chinese-based company that I guess is similar, I want to say, to like Amazon, essentially. Yeah. Um, so this whole system it excludes two hours of lunch and nap during the noon and one hour of supper. My thing is, you know, it seems to work and they, these companies, they, they roll with it. People, you know, are trying to make a coin. So of course there's always going to be someone who's going to do it, but you know, China is kind of like, they, they about that thug life when it comes to a lot of the things that they do within their country and like internationally. I think we all know this. So, but my thing is like, just say y'all want slaves and go, <laughs> you know what I mean? So China is a good example of how capitalism and how we live today, our current um, society, how our current societies uh, work and how they've been established are very tied to, um, you know, the work week that we currently practice that most people have uh, around the world, as well as capitalism. Both of these size, si things, excuse me, both, both of these things are very tied together. So let's talk about that. Let's break that down. So if you look up what capitalism is, the basic ass definition is production for profit in private hands. Now, when this speaks to jobs, everyone has various different jobs working. Um, and that kind of right there in itself explains how we got to be in this situation of a 40 hour work week. Cause like you, what you really have to do is look to the point in history where we started having industrialization. Now, if you follow me on nomad peeps pod, or if you follow me on, um, at my personal IG modern day Afronaut, you will have seen the current situation episode series that I run on my IG. We kind of already talked about this um, and gave every, I gave everybody a little like semi-history, semi, well, it's not, I don't want to say semi-factual, but it was factual. I did my Googles. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of like the beginning of capitalism. I mean, the definition of capitalism and the beginning of the work week, because you start having booming industries across Europe, across America, Canada, and working conditions were starting to get crazy. And, you know, you got children were working in factories. People are working long hours, 16 hours. They were working for six days, apparently, with when, you know, in the beginning of the industrial age. And so, like with anything else, change usually comes from revolution of some sort of people like standing up and like um actually no nah, we ain't with it you know so uh modern capitalism which is when you look at it you basically have like a large class of workers who meet uh who excuse me who exchange work 
for a wage and you have the ultra rich elite class dominating control of the wealth and political power. So this is kind of like still current modern capitalism. And because people were like, nah, hell nah, oh, nah, hell nah, we don't want this. So now we have legislation passed to basically give people their human rights. Um, so again, I don't want to sound like I'm rambling, but these are the, the basics of how we've come to have a 40 day work week. Now, excuse me, the word, um, capitalism and like the word late capitalism is being like slung around everywhere. And the Atlantic, which is a newspaper and also like, uh, online publication, they do a really good They have a good video on YouTube that I recommend people looking up to check out the meaning of like where this came from. Um, And it's really refers to, and this is via Wikipedia, (laughs) late capitalism or late stage capitalism is a term first used in print by German economist Werner Sombart around the turn of the 20th century. Since 2016, the term has been used in the United States to refer to perceived absurdities, crises, injustices, and inequality created by modern business development. And in this, I think there is, it's, there's like late capitalism has become very meme-ish. You start, you hear it everywhere and see it everywhere. Um, But at the same time, I definitely think there's some validity in like, late capitalism as a concept and also kind of like our reality because so many people are becoming jaded um, with this system because it's like kind of not fair because it's like we didn't really create the system but everybody's just kind of like going along with it following it and I guess I pose my question I pose is how to break free of it is there a way to break free of it especially if you're someone like myself, who doesn't feel as if um, this way of living um, is, it, you know, it works for you. It doesn't suit you. Um, so how how to go about doing this? So I started looking up, like, well, over the past week to prepare for this episode, I've been, like, reading a lot about um, <clears throat> capitalist, capitalism concepts of it, um, and as far as like, you know, is there a way around it? Because as far as I concerned, it's kind of like this is the system that we're born into. And it's about playing the game. And when I say playing the game, it's like, you know, money. We need it. <laughs> we need it to live. We need it to survive. And it's just the way it is. So on one hand, it's like, I know there's some people like, hey, man, just drop off the grid, you know, like this type of thing. I've met people who've done that. But on the other hand, it's like, "Mm, I like nice things. (laughs) So there's kind of like, you know, this uh, internal struggle when you're a person that doesn't, you know, get down with the way things are. But then at the same time, I know I have a purpose. And, you know, people people want to feel valuable. They want to feel like they're contributing. So, you know, at the same time, having a job, a typical job, is not all bad, you know. So, for example, for me, going into next year, I know that I want to start taking things more into my own hands. The 
the idea of freelancing is something that is very, very attractive to me, right? Being able to essentially make my own schedule. I don't have to ask anybody for vacation time. Uh, All of these things, it's very attractive to me. And not just me, it's very attractive to many other people because um, maybe I mentioned before in the show, like the rise of nomad culture, the rise of the digital nomad is it's definitely becoming a major thing. It's becoming a major lifestyle. So much so that I just found out that I believe, is it Estonia? Yes, I believe Estonia is one of the first countries in the world to establish a visa that specifically caters to people who are remote workers um, or, you know, like, yeah, on that digital nomad wave. So there's actually a visa you can go and apply for. that allows you to live and work in Estonia. It's like something, it makes sense because it's like, I mean, I don't know when the last time anyone's been talking about visiting Estonia, but it's a very good way to kind of boost, because they see the value. There's, there's definitely money in that being an attractive place for nomads. So like the, this, this is all, it's all connected. You know, people are wanting more work-life balance. They're wanting more freedom. And it's because this current system that we have is not working for a lot of people. You know, you got a lot of people who are in like BS jobs, jobs that are really like, you know, maybe they're not being the most productive or they feel like they're not really doing anything with doing anything with themselves. And I would also recommend Hidden Brain. I'm going to be giving you all tons of recommendations through most of the podcast episodes and future episodes because I think it's very good for people to kind of like, you know, don't ever take anybody's word. You guys are going to hear me say this more and more because I'm becoming such an advocate for people doing their Googles and researching their own shit. In addition to listening to podcasts, um, of course, everything that's mentioned, all the recommendations will be linked in the episode details. But um, yeah, I would say, sorry, if you guys are hearing something right now, it's my it's students. They're so loud. Anyway, yeah, so Hidden Brain actually has an episode about this, talking about BS jobs, and it's actually a really good listen. I highly recommend it. <laughs> Okay, so real quick, let's go through some questions. So I, I I put some questions for this episode to um, the current situation episodes that I do on IG stories. And I'm going to read some of the answers. Okay, so wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. <clears throat> oh, shoot. There's so many to scroll through. Wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. Okay. So one of my first questions, I asked people, um, oh, wait a second, where is that? Okay, so for example, many people, I did a poll that was saying, do you feel satisfied with your current job? And 38% of y'all said, yeah, it's okay. 62% said, I want to escape. So I mean that kind of says it all right there, doesn't it? I think a lot of people feel like this. And it's important to recognize that because I I feel like if people are feeling like that, 
that means like something has to change. And even like when I was saying there are some jobs implementing a four-day work week, I feel like even a four-day work week is would be would be better than a five-day work week, honestly. Like I really, really feel that because with at least three days, think about it, a two day, a two two days off, Friday night people go out because it's like, yeah, it's a weekend. Then Saturday is really your only full, full day. I feel like a two-day weekend is actually a one-day weekend because Saturday is kind of like, that's your only, that's your full day to yourself. So most of the time people are making plans to go out, do things, you know, get things done, have fun, meet up with people, um, do personal things. And then Sunday Sunday is also a day where you can do that, but it's kind of like this thing lingering over you, realizing like it's over, it's done, it's finished, this is it. I sound it sounds so dark and dramatic, but it's kind of like that though, because I know how I am. Sunday is like I just want to chill, you know. Maybe during the more how you have your thing, you do something in the morning, whatever. But usually it's like you need one, you have one day for having fun and one day to chill, and then next thing you know you're back. This is why everybody is always feeling like the weekend goes by so fast or people are dreading Mondays. Even the even Monday. Monday has become a day of dread for people. Sunday has become a day of dread for people cuz it's like, damn, I got to go back. So it's like you're you're kind of mentally already have half of the weekend written off because you're spending parts of it thinking about, damn, I got to go back to work. You know, and that, I don't know, to me, that's kind of like, that's an issue. It shouldn't be that way. Every day should feel like a weekend. Every day should be like a holiday. But anyway, that's me and my motivational speaker self talking. But okay, let's see. So the next thing I I posted was, what do you think about the concept of money? Somebody said necessary. That was Shannon, actually. (laughs) Necessary. Someone said better than having to trade veggies or something like that back in the days. Yeah, I guess money is better than having to trade veggies and stuff like that back in the day. But would things be less complicated? I don't know. You'd always, I don't know, would you always have what you needed? Hmm, I don't know. So yeah, and then I have another person. She she initially commented too long. I need to send a DM for this. So she she says here, the concept of money, I feel money is a good thing, but the concept people have is where it gets dangerous. People without money see money as something different than people with money. I'm talking a lot of money as in, I guess she's saying, this is, sorry, this is me editing, as in like wealthy, wealthy, filthy rich people. People with money know the way people without money feel about it. And they know people without money would do almost anything to get it. So people with money take advantage by always expecting more from working. Sorry. Are all, sorry, excuse me. Ooh. So people with money take advantage by always expecting more from working who are working for that coin. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I think she meant people, sorry. Oh my God. People with money take advantage by always expecting more from people who are working for that coin. I feel a lot of people are slaves to the dollar. That's so true. And would drag their body down to get more instead of find ways to live off of less. Hello? It's this constant chase to get it. 
to still live an unfulfilling life and they never realizing, excuse me, they never realize no matter how much you chase it, it probably will never feel like you are making enough because of your mindset. Misconception that an increase in income should equal an increase in spending. All in all, I feel your money mindset will determine how you feel about money. And I definitely agree with that. I'm actually making a conscious effort, especially going forward in 2020, to build a better relationship with money. Um, Because I know if you're thinking of things from a place of lack, as in I don't have, I need, I don't have this right now, like I don't have, I don't have it's already kind of like you're you already kind of have you're setting things to to be uh, negative when it comes to money because money's energy you know money is really like energy it comes and goes just like energy does so i think once you start changing your mindset towards it then things change as far as your outlook about like how you get it and even it coming to you easier. I, I, I really do believe that. So, so yes, I, I really think that's, I, I really love that. And the other question that I asked is, and she also commented in this, I'm going to read her comment because she was so lovely to like um, really be, really being expressive in her explanation and stuff. Cause I, I love having these conversations and connecting with people. Uh, but, you know, in our society, being a hard worker usually equals being a valuable person. And I'm like, why is that? I mean, we know why that is, because in a capitalist society, when, you know, profit is the ultimate goal, you are going to prioritize, you know, people who are helping you to get to that goal. You're going to prioritize your workers who get to that goal. And of course, you want everybody in the system, living in the system to believe the same ish, that, you know, being a valuable excuse me, being a hard worker means you're a valuable person to society. You know, you're not, you're not a menace to society. You're not like a lazy person. You're not a freeloader. Even that term freeloader, look at you just sitting over there collecting checks, not doing anything. You welfare queen, like, you know, this type of thing is just kind of like, you're not contributing to the group pot, so to speak. But it's like, Real talk, why does anyone have to if they if they don't want to? You know what I mean? Are we is is that our purpose on this planet to be productive, to be a productive person? And what does being productive even look like? Being productive for who? If I'm being productive for myself in some way, shape, or form, however that looks like to me, isn't that enough or it's not? So anyway, I'm just ask I'm just being all philosophical out here right now. But anyway, to get to what she said, being a hard worker equals being a valuable person is a huge misconception that only benefits employers. Exactly. For example, a worker thinking not taking PTO or vacation, PTO part-time, you know, I think that means part-time off or whatever, paid time off, excuse me, paid time off. God, you can see I'm really disconnected. But anyway, for example, a worker thinking not taking PTO or vacation means they are being a good worker or adding value when really they aren't. I used to be that, I used to be that type of person. I ain't taking no sick days out here and be wearing it like a badge of honor. I was definitely one of those people. At the end of the day, sorry, I'm continuing reading what she says. At the end of the day, if the employer is laying off workers to save coin, they could care less who were who were the workers who were always 
worked overtime and never took vacation. Facts. Matter of fact, if you always work overtime, you would be one of the first to go since you were costing them more money. They can find someone to do the same job that they would only have to pay for eight hours. But employees know employee, excuse me, employers know employees think this way. So they would let that employee do the most with no intentions on rewarding all that extra effort. Thank you so much. Um, I don't want to say her I don't know if I should say her IG name, but thank you. She, If you're listening, you know who you are. Um, thank you so much for your words. And I totally agree with that as well. There's many people out here thinking like, you know, their company uh, is really about them when it's not, especially again in a capitalist society when profit is you know, king, that's what matters the most, you know, that's the most important. Um, So when it comes to your workers, like, you know, if they got to do, make those hard decisions, they're going to do it. And they're not going to think twice, you know. And I feel like a lot of people definitely need to take this same mentality too, when it comes to yourself, even if you are, whether you're working for yourself, or whether you're working in um, an establishment or company of some sort, you know, because like at the end of the day, you kind of, this is really some final thought. (laughs) This is really some final thoughts ish. Hold up. Let's take a quick break. And we're going to go into the final thoughts because this is kind of like a very short episode because it's just me this week, y'all talking about work culture. So I, I just wanted to kind of get into this um, because this is something that is constantly on my mind and especially going into 2020 there's some big changes going to be happening um for me as well as with with my current work situation which we will be talking about later but anyway we're going to take a quick break and come back with the final thoughts So for the final thoughts, when it comes to work culture, and this is what I was saying before the little break, um, I really do feel like people need to start looking at themselves as a business because time is a commodity. I'm realizing there's a lot of people who are time poor. Myself, I've experienced this. And, you know, when you are working, you're essentially selling your time in exchange for money. This is this is what working in a capitalist society means. We're charging people for our time. However, I feel like even if you are charging people for your time, that time should be used wisely. And I know it's, you know, idealistic to say this when the reality is a lot of people they can't they don't have the luxury of moving in their own time. You know what I mean? And there's some people who are who can do this. And that's a beautiful thing, but it's a very rare thing because everybody can't do it or they got to do it in their own way. You know, the way that I want to move isn't, I can't do that right now. And I need to figure out a way to do that that is sustainable to me. You know what I mean? So what I'm saying is I feel like um, people, it's good to like start getting to a point it will be nice if people can start getting to a point to reflect on, you know, what matters to you most? What do you really want to um, put your, spend your time on? 
Um, and cause like, you know, like I said, when money's energy, it comes and it goes. And I think a lot of people get, there's a lot of fear involved when it comes to people taking jobs or feeling like they're locked in because, you know, like I said, I need the money, I need the money, but it's, there's more, there's more. And I, I feel like people need to start looking at themselves as if they're, they're a company. You know what I mean? Is this serving you? Is this making you a profit? And I don't know, for me, time is, time is also a profit. To me, time is profit, not just money. So I know going forward that I want to put myself in the best position to be able to use my time purposefully, purposefully, excuse me, intentionally. And, um, yeah, in a way that I'm, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling joy. I'm not feeling miserable. That's the worst feeling to, and that's one of my biggest fears. Actually, it's always been one of my biggest fears is like having to get up and go to a job that I hate consistently every single day. And I also think that's why there's a connection to, um, younger generations, not staying in companies like our parents did, you know, and our grandparents, they, stayed in one company for my grandmother worked in one place for like 32 years. My grandfather, he did the same. Uh, and you know, that shit's over with, <laughs> you know, the, like people, I mean, I know there's some companies that are becoming hip to that, but again, you know, the change always comes within people. So with the people first and foremost, that's, that's where the change comes from. So I think if people start getting to a point where they start demanding more, demanding more work-life balance, I, I really do feel like that's the way. So yeah, that's it for this week's episode. Um, we are three weeks three weeks away for a mid-season break. Um, going to be taking the last two weeks of the year, or I shouldn't say last two weeks, basically brings us up to the week of Christmas time. But yeah, just going to like take a little mid-season break um, because I, I'm, I'm so excited. This There's been five episodes. I can't believe it's been five episodes already since launching Nomad Peeps. I've gotten so many um, nice words and compliments from people who have listened to um, the podcast, especially from friends, as well as some from some people that um, I've never met. And it really, it's fuel for me, y'all. Like, I, I feel like maybe I've said this before, but I, I love it. Um, and I would love it even more if you are digging it to please feel free to leave comments um, on iTunes, on Spotify, just anything that anything that you want to say, um, preferably nice things. <laughs> but you know, yeah, just big up the podcast. Seriously, um, it helps. It all helps. So yeah, we're three three episodes away, three weeks away. Going to be taking a mid season break and then coming back to you 2020. So many big things happening. So many transition is going to be happening with the podcast, because as I said, this is the Nomad Peeps podcast. Uh, emphasis on the nomad part. So um, I'm so excited for what 2020 has to bring for myself, for my friends, and just for everyone in general. I feel like just really positive about next year on so many levels. So yeah, um, you all know what to do. If you're not following, follow on Nomad Peeps Pod. That's on IG at Nomad Peeps Pod. You can follow me, your girl Lisa, your host at Modern Day Afronaut on IG. 
um, as well as follow Nomad Peeps TV. Things are kind of like I'm in the middle of transitioning right now. So, you know, we got some more content coming for over there. But, you know, I'm everywhere, baby. So, yeah, I hope everyone is being happy, being healthy, being well, uh, recovering from Thanksgiving slash family day slash Indigenous Peoples Day meal. And I will see you guys next week. Peace.